welcome to episode eight of the Teach and Coach GA podcast. I hope that you all listening had a fantastic spring break, and if your school system hasn't gone into spring break yet, that uh, that you enjoy it as it rolls around for you. Uh, during this past spring break, I sat down with a teacher here in North Georgia, uh, Michelle Grant, who is an instructional coach, and uh, had an opportunity to talk about STEAM and that certification process and sort of you know what STEAM is and how it's worked for them at their school. And then also about instructional coaching, which is uh, sort of near and dear to my heart. I love the idea of, of training and working with teachers, sort of uh, a big reason why I started that Teach and Coach GA website and why I'm doing this podcast right now. The idea that as teachers, we can always improve and get better. And uh, hopefully you found this podcast and the website is uh, a way to be able to do that as you learn from, from other teachers and, uh, and understand more of what they're doing. Uh, in their classrooms and with their students. Uh, But without any further ado, let's jump into the episode with Michelle and learn more about STEAM and instructional coaching. Joining me this week is Michelle Grant. Michelle teaches here in North Georgia. And uh, Michelle, you you sort of have an interesting background of what what you're currently doing. Uh, But I'd love for you to share a little bit about what you do now and how long you've been teaching and, and sort of your process to get to where you currently are. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, I have been teaching for 21 years, all in the same district. I was in the classroom for 15 years um, in an elementary school. I was in three different schools uh, teaching upper, intermediate grades, fourth and fifth grade, all content areas for 15 years. Towards the back end of the, that time, I... Um, was interested, became interested in school administration and was pursuing that a little bit. And in 2014, I was given the opportunity to develop professional development and do some summer academy professional development sessions for the Georgia Department of Education and North Georgia RESA. It was an entire summer of their um, ELA summer academies. And I did a session on integrating STEM into your ELA program. So that was really fun. And that is when I caught the professional development instructional coaching bug. And so from then on out, I decided administration was not the way curriculum and instruction was. So um, I started learning about how to develop professional development, how to develop content like that, what instructional coaching was, reading books and blogs and figuring all the gurus in that, you know, that area of education and um, just started reaching out and pursuing that. And after 15 years in the classroom, I had a former teacher of mine who had gone on the administrative track, got her first principalship at a Title I school and needed an instructional coach. So she called me up and asked if she, you know, if I would be interested in talking with her about that. And so I jumped at that opportunity. And so this is my sixth year as an instructional coach all at that school. I do um, have plans to transfer to another Title I school in our district and do the same thing at that school in the fall. So that will start my seventh year. Uh, But yeah, so 21 years, um, 15 years in the classroom, six years as an instructional coach. That is, that's an awesome background. I, uh, I think a lot of teachers get that idea of going the admin route, uh, and then often are derailed for me. I've, I've shared before on this podcast, I was a PE teacher for a short time frame, And at our school, we got to wear a, the, the, the microphone, the walkie talkie that the admin used same, same channel. 
because uh, if there was a kid that needed checked out, whatever it was, they were calling down to PE because we usually had them. Um, and I got to hear all the communication that took place during the day with those administrators and what they were doing. And I quickly decided <laughs> admin is not the path for me. <laughs> so, so I completely understand that sort of change in direction, that change in path. Uh, I do want to know, so you, you called an instructional coach. I remember uh, things being called ITS, instructional technology specialist. Is that the same kind of it's the, role? The or is it a- yes. Um, so we've always had in ITS in our district for a long time. They're uh, coaches who come to the schools and they train teachers on technology. And so um, let me think, four years ago, our district put... It's an ILS, instructional, um, instructional Lead Strategist. So it's a very fancy name. And people are like, what is that? And I just say it's an instructional coach because the term instructional coach is a little bit more universal in, in the world. So people will you know understand that term a little bit easier than ILS or using acronyms. So um, yes, but I'm an ILS currently. And there's another kind of coach in our district as well that's um, an academic facilitator, and that's a Title I coach. So I actually started as a Title I coach, academic facilitator, and that's what I'm headed back to next year as well. But it's really all the same, under that same umbrella of instructional coach. (laughs) Yeah, I'm happy it's not an acronym because I remember sitting in probably my second year as a teacher sitting in an RTI meeting, and we're meeting and discussing, and and my brain's wandering, and and I'm thinking... RTI, I I have no idea what RTI stands for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Since then, I've learned what it is. But yeah, at the time, I was like, I I don't know what these acronyms mean. We just need to start calling things what they are. Exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, so, <laughs> so I like instructional coach for sure. Yeah. And so my role isn't um, necessarily technology. It's just all content areas. Um for the school, I help institute the district initiatives, the school initiatives based on our school improvement plan, um, you know, STEAM we're going towards. So uh, just any any vision that we need based on data, things like that. Um, so I just do professional development in, in all content areas, best practices, uh, data analysis, that sort of thing. And before we get to the, the STEAM discussion, when you when you talk about instructional coaching, you're you're at your building all the time. You don't rotate to other schools in your zone or other schools in your area. You're at your building with your teachers every single day, Correct. right? I am assigned to that school and I'm there every day. I um, am at an actual, an old school, so I don't have my own classroom. I have a large multi-purpose room with an office tucked behind it. So that's really nice. Most of the instructional coaches in our district have their own classroom that the teachers come to for that coaching and professional development. Um, but I have a little office and a PD room. And yeah, so I'm there every day. I am in classrooms at the same school every day for the last six years. And so that longevity has been really great in building relationships and trust and getting things done. Um, You know, just there year after year, we leave at post-planning and we are able to come back at pre-planning the following fall and just pick right up where we left off. So yes, I'm at one school all day. That is, that is awesome. I think that's, that's huge. I love that, that idea for your county and what they're doing. Uh, I was always, you know, the, the, ITS would come or what we want to call them that would come to your buildings. They were had, you know, four schools they were assigned to and they'd do a training for 30 minutes and then they would leave and then you would never talk about it. They'd come again in four months and do something completely different. And you're like, well, what about that thing we just did 
last time. So the idea that you have one person in that building working with those teachers on the things that they need compared to simply what is is you know coming down from the top down, I think is I think is a huge huge deal for improving instruction for teachers. So I I love that your county has gone to that. I think that is is fantastic. Yeah, it's really great. Um, instructional coaching is a research based practice. Um, if I can throw some numbers out there, typically the one and done PD, like you're talking about, uh, that's disconnected from your everyday practice or, you know, in the past teachers would go leave the building for the day and go to an all day long professional development session. Um, the, the chances of coming back and actually implementing that, um, independently is about 5%. And so having a coach in the building that is there every day, that knows the teachers, that knows the different personalities and can approach coaching, you know, with different people from different angles and be there every day for that one-on-one support, um, I think is very powerful. It's very, it makes a great impact on the school because I know what I've said. I know the school culture, and we can just move forward from there. So um, the data shows that if you have an instructional coach in the building, the implementation of those initiatives ups to about 90 to 92%. So it's pretty, it's a pretty, pretty big impact that we get to have inside the building every day. Yeah, that is, like I said, that is fantastic. I did my specialist in uh, instructional technology. I was actually just sitting here thinking, I have my specialist in this. What was it called? Uh, And I'm going to say it was instructional technology. I should know. Right. I was just happy at the end that I had this degree that I was like, oh, my gosh, this is fantastic. Um, but but it, it pointed to exactly what you were saying. I remember going through the the content at KSU and thinking, I'm not seeing this anywhere. Right. Like they're teaching us this is how it should be done. But all the districts I've worked in, this isn't how it's done. So hearing that this is again, this is how you're doing it uh, really makes my heart happy to know that, like you said, based on the research, based on on what the ex, you know the experts in education are saying. Uh, that this is uh, this is what we should be doing, and that's what you're you're implementing every day. But let's uh, let's jump over to sort of what you're working on right now with that certification for your school with that you mentioned with Steam. Um, first, what is Steam, and sort of what what are you going through right now as you're looking to to get your school Steam certified? Um, so you know we kind of started in this world of STEM, and then we've added the A to it to make STEAM. Um, My school is currently a fine arts academy. And so that's what that A stands for in the STEAM is the arts. And it's plural, the arts, because there are five domains of art, uh, media arts, visual arts, theater, dance, and music. And so it's plural. Um, But it's adding in that layer of creativity to STEM. STEM is the integration of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, where students are solving problems and they are, um, you know, trying to, to create products to answer problems that are specifically in their community where they feel like they're making a big impact and learning their grade level content at the same time. Um, but STEM can be very analytical. And so adding in the A um, brings that level of creativity into it. The school that I'm at now is actually Fine Arts Academy. So they've been doing the arts for almost 10 years. So for us to want to go this route, it was only natural not to drop the A and go for the STEAM certification as well. And so we are going for the state of Georgia STEAM certification. Um, We're halfway through the process, roughly. We're in our second year and they say it usually takes three years. So uh, we're we're hoping next year will will be the day, the year that we can wrap that up. Um, But basically the, the idea of STEAM and why we chose to go STEAM was because it really incorporates that analytical 
side of thinking and problem solving with the creative part, uh, the thinking outside of the box, uh, using the arts to incorporate into your final product um, and make it a, a, a meteor product using the arts to communicate your findings. Um, and it allows the students to be analytical and critical at the same time. And not ha- they don't have to choose one or the other. They can use both. And actually, you're using both sides of your brain when you are infusing that creativity in with the analytics and the, you know, the problem solving. So... Um, you know, it's it's just really good for our students to be able to 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 add that the arts into their communication. Um, it's a lot of people think that the A is just another piece. You know, like we're just adding one more thing onto STEM, but really, it's using the arts in their products in their final you know communication. We are not just doing a PowerPoint. We are utilizing artistic media arts and design inside of that. They need to think about editing. They need to think about uh, layout and foreground, background and font and color, um, not just singing and dancing, you know, or adding color onto it. So um, there's there, there's just another level of that since we are a fine arts academy going to STEAM that um, it really is the idea of creating content that is um truly integrated and whole. So we have math, we have science, and we have the arts. And we are incorporating all of those at the grade level rigor, incorporating grade level standards for all of those, and then creating units uh, for the students to learn through and give them problems to solve and bringing in business partners, um, you know, and community partners to help solve these problems. And they really get ownership and have motivation in, in what they're learning. So that's what we're doing. We're working on steam. We're trying to write our own unique curriculum that incorporates all of those content areas at a rigorous level equal for all of that. And, um, it's a journey. It's a journey. And I have the great honor of being able to coach the teachers through this day by day as we muddle through, uh, what steam is and, and creating this, this great, uh, unique environment for our school. Yeah. That, that, to me, what you're saying sounds like best practices, and now it's being called Steam. Um, yes. <laughs> when I was when I was creating content for Scythe Virtual Academy for our online courses, we took the approach of uh, project based learning uh, and incorporated a lot of things from uh, AJ Giuliani's book uh, called Launch, uh, which was my kind of book because it has giant print and lots of pictures. So it it, it was perfect for me uh, because my my brain could process what I was seeing and, and sort of implement it quickly. But uh, what you're talking about with with the idea of you know students aren't just making PowerPoints, students are are creating a product, uh, are all things that I looked for when I was creating my content and creating my course and working with my students at the high school level. Um, you know they they could create a PowerPoint and give me the content that I needed, but their PowerPoint was honestly, and I would tell them this is boring. Like if I my view on 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 projects and then grading them has always been if if I as a teacher look at this and go oh man I got to grade this today then there's a, that's my fault. There's a better option, right? If it was boring for me to grade, it was probably boring for my kids to, to do. Uh, so I love that you're, you're having kids incorporate all those, those media rich, uh, tools to create engaging things. Uh, and to me, to me that matter because when they leave school, if they can present something, uh, at the professional level, uh, whatever it may be, 
you know, showing just a PowerPoint with words, a ton of words is what kids usually do. Yeah. <laughs> a ton of words on the slide with like one picture that it might be relevant to what is on the slide or not. Um, so I love that you're really focusing in on that because that's, I, I still do teach part-time with Forsyth Virtual as an adjunct teacher and uh, actually working in those courses that I built. And and honestly, I spend more time, the content's already built into the course and, and the kids know the content. Uh, but the projects that they struggle most on are the things that you're talking about, the art side of things, the making it visually engaging, making it uh, uh, using all the tools that technology provides to make it engaging for the audience, not just visually, but audio, like the whole the whole package uh, is where I spend most of my time working with my kids. Um, so love that that's a major focus of what you're doing. And like I said, just it seems like best practice, uh, not necessarily and, and it's being called Steve. Yes. It is best practice. It really has transformed our school into, you know, the, the teacher focus where it's the the lecture, um, you know, the old school way of teaching and just really transformed it into being student centered, student driven. They have a lot of ownership. We do the PBL. Um, part of our STEAM curriculum is it's twofold. It's the day to day, which is really what I was describing earlier of the content, the grade level standards, integrating them together. But we also have project-based learning, um, and it's it's under the umbrella. We've chosen agriculture at our school. Um, I am at a Title I school, and, and our students are hungry. You know, we have a food pantry. We have a garden outside. And so we chose agriculture, and every grade level has a school-wide a year-long project that they um, that they work on under the umbrella of agriculture. And so that we launch it usually the first or second week of school for that grade level, and then they work on it and problem solve all year and then work towards, you know, a celebration at the end of the year and some sort of a, a video presentation that they're going to leave to the next grade level coming up to say this is where we left the project off. Um, but they know that they're solving real problems that are in the community. Um, you know, they're hungry. They know people are hungry. They know worldwide people are hungry. And so we're focusing, we're focusing on that. And they have great pride in knowing that they are solving, solving problems. And the great thing about it is we've been able to tie every single PBL project to their science and math standards. And then we have found, you know, arts standards as well to incorporate into that. So it's not an extra. I mean, they're digging deeper into their their grade level content um, all year long into, you know, one, one big project. So like our third grade is working on food waste. They've been collecting food from the cafeteria, which was uh, unique this year because with COVID and social distancing, not all the students are in the cafeteria. So they're in their own classroom and they can collect their own food waste. You know, that's not an opportunity that all third graders are going to get to have moving forward, but they're collecting their waste. They've been collecting data on that. They now have composting and, you know, worm bins and all the things. Um, but they have a whole pollution and conservation unit that they learn in third grade. So we launched that at the beginning of the year. And so they've been able to dig deeply into those standards the whole year instead of it just being like a six week unit. So it really is best practice, like you said, and it's very impactful. Um, and hopefully the students will will take things from them. You know, they're learning here at our school. Well, they're here for these six years and then um, catapult them into to really great things as they move to middle school and high school and beyond. A lot of STEAM is, is just motivating them, helping them see beyond, you know, their small little world and seeing the potential. We bring in careers, we bring in local artists and help them see, see what things could be for them if they wanted that to be. So um, 
yeah, it's really great, but it is, it is best practice. You said it, you said it better than I did for sure. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, uh, that, that is fantastic. Yeah. I love that. Like I said, the kids are doing things that matter. Uh, and when they're doing things that matter, they know that, right? So our students aren't, aren't, aren't dumb. They, they know, you know, what I'm, you know, I'm answering a multiple choice test, right? What's this matter? This question right here, I could Google and find the answer to, right? Like that, to me, that's changed the way education has to happen is, you know, if I'm asking a student a question that they can simply Google, uh, then it's not, it's not something that they must necessarily need to know. Now I know obviously who's the first president, who is there are certain things that they need to know, uh, but like I said, the reality is education has to sort of change to being a more, like you said, hands-on, real world, solving problems that that matter. Uh, and and when we do things like that, like you said, it, it, our students uh, take pride in what they're doing because you know they're not just doing a, a worksheet; they're they're doing something that actually has an impact on their community and, and on their school. And that, that is that is fantastic. So, um, well, let's take a little bit of that passion that you have with what's going on with Steam and sort of I, it really this sort of ties in with that coaching teachers and and coaching them with this steam uh uh sort of target in mind and you know coaching them uh, we talked a little bit beforehand and you mentioned that you know coaching them through that lens of at-risk students and content integration so uh when i saw that it really piqued my interest to to see sort of what you uh what you thought on uh, on that and and how you would uh, would explain and sort of dive into coaching teachers with that, uh, that target in mind, the, the lens of at-risk students and content integration? Yeah. So my school is a Title I school. We typically have roughly 70% of our students on free and reduced lunch. It's down to about 62% this year just because of COVID. Um, students are staying home for digital learning. Uh, we also have that the food grant where they get food, free lunch. Everybody gets free lunch this year for the school year. So not as many people applied for the free and reduced lunch program. So we dropped a little bit, but 61% or 62% is still pretty high. And um, so that that's what's considered at risk. And that is how we qualify for Title I is based on our free and reduced lunch numbers. But in addition to that, we have roughly 35%, so a little more than a third of our students are EL students. So that means they're English language learners. That means English was not their first language And so they're coming to school and we need to teach them English, the language, as well as the content, which is absolutely possible. You can learn English and chemistry at the same time. That can be done. Um, And we believe that that can be done. So, you know, just knowing that we're at 62% free and reduced lunch and a third of our students are learning English as well as content, you know, we have a lot a lot going on at our school. A lot of our students that that considers them, you know, at risk, and um, they come to our school on on a daily basis with a lot to overcome. And so we have to keep in mind, and I have to coach always with the lens of those students' needs, um, keeping those at the forefront, and making sure that as teachers we are loving our students the best way possible. And that is through a high quality education. They all deserve it. And, um, you know, they all can, they can overcome. And so we just always have to keep that in mind. So we're always making sure that we're not labeling our students or giving them reasons for, you know, 
academic struggles that are outside of our sphere of control. You know, we can we can think of a lot of reasons why a student might have learning gaps, but many of those reasons are outside of our control. So what can we control in the building? Um, it's giving them our all and making sure that we are giving them the education that they need um, the way they need it. And so that's what I mean by coaching through the lens of the at-risk learner is always just digging deeply into the why and then determining what we can do, what we're able to do to help that. No, that, that is perfect. I, I still remember my first student that, uh, that I had in my classroom, and he might be my only student that I've ever had in my classroom, actually physically in my classroom, not teaching online that did not speak English. And I, I remember his first day coming to, I mean, I can see it clear as day, coming to my room, the principal bringing him down, telling me the student's name and that he didn't speak English and then where he came from and his little bit of his background and him just looking at me like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And I remember coming home going, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. Like, because at that time I was I did have the model of being up front and teaching. And I'd like to think I was engaging for the kids at the time, even then, but it wasn't the, the best teaching model that I was, I was using at that time. You know, I was probably my, maybe my third or fourth year teaching. And I remember coming home and like I said, just, I don't know how I'm going to, going to reach this kid. I have no idea. And honestly, I still don't remember what I did that, that was effective for him. But what I loved the most is that he continued to come back to me all the way until he graduated high school and to come back to see me. Uh, and was speaking English by that time, right? Yeah. Clear as day English by that time uh, when he was coming back to see me. And it was such an awesome experience to know. I don't know if I taught him anything about social studies when he was there, uh, but uh, but I created a relationship with him, even though neither one of us could speak the same language, where he wanted to come back and see me. And it's something still that I, I take a lot of pride in, uh, because again, I, I don't know if I taught him anything about seventh grade social studies, but uh, I'm happy that I was able to help make his experience in that transition uh, as he did begin to pick up the language and stuff uh, a little bit uh, a little bit better uh, for him, a little bit more comfortable where he at least had a face he could see when he came into the building that knew, hey, this guy's this guy's looking out for me. He might not know what I'm saying, but he's looking out for me. Right. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. And really, that is the biggest the, the number one start is building relationships and making sure that the students feel safe in the classroom to learn and to take risks. Um, there's something called your affective filter. And the that is, those are the circumstances that allow someone to feel comfortable learning language acquisition in the classroom. And so things like motivation, risk-taking, anxiety, um, you know, making mistakes, that sort of thing. Um, you have this, this filter and think of it like a wall. So if their, their affective filter is very high, they are not going to learn the language that you need them to learn. So when I'm coaching teachers, I'm we're we're talking through the lens of that affective filter. So like if you have a student who isn't participating in the class, not even taking the smallest little risk, not even giving you, you know, like a try at all, then we talk about that affective filter. So what how does he feel or she feel in the classroom and how can we lower that through wait time, um, building relationships? showing more picture support, giving sentence frames or scaffolding. We say scaffold up, right? Don't scaffold so much that we keep them where they are. They need to, to grow in their learning. So scaffolding up um, and things like that. It, even simple as, you know, there's the, the engagement strategy of think, pair, share. And so adding in a think, 
write pair share and so that everyone has that wait time to think about what they want to say to a partner and then give them the chance to maybe write it down, even just a couple of words. And then someone who's learning the language can just read those words off of that sticky note or that piece of paper to their partner instead of having to go straight from what I'm thinking to verbalizing it. You know, putting those little steps in there just to lower that affective filter um, really does help. So it sounds like you with your student building that relationship, you know, and him learning the language that his affective filter was really low in your classroom. So kudos to you. Um, I think back to my second year of teaching, I had a student that had no, no English language vocabulary at all. And I, I built a relationship with him. Of course, I was in an intermediate school, so he just he went on um, really quickly. He wasn't in the school long. But if I had the knowledge and the strategies that I have now to have taught him, I just think about like what we could have what we could have done. I didn't have an instructional coach in the building, and I didn't have the, that skill set to really help him. Um, but I did build relationship. You know, that's really where it starts. Yeah. So yeah. So, but we have to have these conversations all the time when you've got students. You know, when a third of your class is learning the language, um, you can't mm-hmm. just be expecting them to raise their hand and feel comfortable participating. You know, you have to put some supports in place that make them feel like they um, can learn that language so that it will start to soak in, you know, and that they can, they can learn that vocabulary and that content. So it's a lot, it's a lot, you know, working at a title, education is hard. Education is hard for everyone. Um, but you know, title one and, and the, the language acquisition and, you know, students who are in poverty and all of that, it's that adds another layer of just intentionality that you have to, you have to be intentional with these, these students so that their basic needs are met so that they can soak in all of the content that you want to teach them. So that's what we have to, that's what I focus on a lot. So when I say coaching through the lens of the at-risk learner, it's always like, are we giving them what they need? Are we using these strategies that we know are important and not letting them fall off? Because we have a lot of strategies you know, and we can fall into just the, the our couple of favorite, but that doesn't mean that that those are the best ones for those students or that particular student. So right, it's right. hard work. Well, it it is, and and obviously you're doing a good job at it. You're extremely knowledgeable, Michelle. Thank you so much for for sharing and for what you're doing. Um, it matters, right? And it was it was something I always enjoyed. My my most recent principal would would tell us and tell the staff is is what we're doing matters. Uh, and sometimes we, we get so focused, like you said, on what, what's the, uh, the best, uh, strategy or scenario to go through here. But, but really when it all comes down to it, it's like you said, building relationships, making kids comfortable, letting them know they're in a, in a safe place where people care about them. And like I said, what, what you're doing matters. So thank you so much for sharing, uh, with us. Is there anything that, uh, as we get ready to wrap up, is there anything that, that we haven't talked about that you're passionate about that you're like, Oh, I really wish I'd had a chance to share this, whether it's a book you're reading or something you're working on or, or uh, something that you uh, would like to share? Um, well, I just would. I don't mean to put you no, on the spot. It's fine. I just <laughs> would think that any of your listeners who are teachers who are thinking that they might want to be in curriculum instruction, um, just encourage them to take that leap, do that due diligence. If there is an instructional coach in the building, reach out. Um, I didn't have anyone in the beginning when I was learning about this um, to go to. So I just had to do my own research. And for my first year, there were very few of us. We didn't have a coach in every building. And I'm the only one at my school. So I really had to figure out what this job even looked like 
you know, all on my own. And then over the years, as new coaches have come in and the district has expanded this program to every school, I've really tried to reach out to those first year coaches because you can feel like an island. You're the only one in the school. You have to build relationships with your teachers and develop trust with them. And while that's happening, you might feel like, what am I even doing? Um, so I just encourage their teachers, you know, if they, they, want to go this route. It's an amazing route. It's uh, very fulfilling. It's very impactful. And um, just to, to try to find someone that can mentor them through that process. I have a teacher who I did mentor my first couple of years there. She kind of learned alongside me while I was figuring out coaching. I was trying to show her the ropes <laughs> as well. And she actually got an instructional coaching job at another school this year. And so that was a really proud moment for me to be able to mentor her and have her, you know, get that job and take that next step in her career. And I'm coaching a teacher right now in my school on coaching. I just, it makes me laugh to say we're coaching on coaching, but that's what we're doing. And we're meeting and I'm letting her, you know, she's shadowing me and she's watching the debriefs and asking questions because that's something that she wants to, um, to maybe, pursue in her future career. So um, it's hard work. You have to have thick skin. Um, no, you know, working with adults and teaching adults is different from teaching children. Um, so <laughs> it takes a skill set very you true. Have to acquire. But I just would encourage people, teachers to reach out if they think that that is something that, um, that they might want to pursue. Well, I'm sorry that ended all of a sudden. My audio, which I use Zencaster to record, and usually it's awesome. For some reason, just dropped about the last 30 seconds from Michelle, but uh, you didn't miss too much. It was just me uh, saying thank you, so I'll say that right now. A huge thank you to Michelle for uh, taking the time during her spring break to come on and share about the amazing things that she is doing as an educator. Uh, and it's just a great reminder, uh, as I told Michelle, that the things that we do matter. Uh, Michelle's work with coaching teachers, with, with preparing them to work with at-risk students and realizing the impact that, that she has not only on the students that she gets to see and work with, but the teachers that then impact all the students during their careers that she gets to coach. I mean, that is, that is awesome. So uh, a huge thank you again to Michelle. Uh, if you did want to reach out and contact Michelle with any questions that you might have about STEAM, instructional coaching or at-risk learners, she did provide her uh, Twitter account so you can reach out to her. It is mgrant underscore ILS, and I will include that in the show notes for those of you that may have any questions that she may be able to answer for you. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you've enjoyed it, I would love for you to take the time to, uh, to either rate or review the show. Uh, you can do that uh, simply by going to your favorite podcasting platform giving it five stars and writing a short review. Uh, or if you don't think it's worth five stars, you know, tell me what you'd like to see changed as well. Uh, and if you think, hey, you know, I'm doing awesome stuff as an educator and uh, uh, newsflash, you are doing awesome stuff as an educator. Uh, I would love to discuss with you all the things that you're doing and have you come on the show to share. So please feel free to reach out to me at Teach and Coach GA on Twitter, or you can reach out via email, teachandcoachga at yahoo.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a great week.